0: And good morning to all of you, you who are present here in the sanctuary, as well as even more who have joined us online from across North America and really around the world. We welcome you as well. We sincerely do appreciate a global audience and you are one one body in Christ for sure. I have asked Katie Hinkle to introduce the session and our speakers for the day. Sister Katie is the managing editor at the Portland headquarters office. She's also extraordinarily helpful in many, many other roles as they emerge along the way, and they emerge with some frequency, and today's just one example of that. Katie graduated from Willamette University in 2007 with high honors. She earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in political science with minors in mathematics and Spanish. She also received awards for, and I quote, outstanding scholarly achievement, and another for good character. When I confirmed with her mother that she never received anything less than an A in her K through 12 academic career, Sister Jody replied as follows, she did get one A minus in high school, so nobody is perfect. (laughs) That A minus was in calculus two and it did not prevent her from being a class valedictorian. Katie's been extraordinarily helpful, instrumental in developing this presentation, and will guide us through the morning. And before she does so, let's all stand, shall we? And we'll have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so very thankful for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to assemble, whether locally or at any point around the world. We ask that you'll be with each one of us as audience members. We pray that you'll bless our speakers today as well. May we all leave this morning encouraged and even inspired to realize we're part of a great global work and that we walk together and work together in harmony in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We ask that you do bless this morning and throughout this day as you tarry and throughout these special services in the tabernacle as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sister Katie.
1: Good morning. Um, We are gathered together for the first session in a series titled, A Greater Understanding. Um, One of the most beautiful aspects of the gospel is seeing how it works in so many different situations. We know that it works for the rich and for the poor. It works for the strong and for the weak. It works for the one who has lived in safety and for the one who has been abused. And we know that it works in the east and the west and the north and the south. But one aspect about our diverse backgrounds is that we can't always know about the challenges that our brothers and sisters in Christ have faced and are facing. So the purpose of this series is to help us gain a greater understanding of each other's experiences so that we can better serve the Lord together. I have had the privilege over the last few months of working with a team as we explored the best way to approach each topic. And future sessions will look at health and family circumstances, but today we're focusing on culture. So the first half of this session, which we expect to last about an hour, we will hear about how God is the author of the multicultural world that we live in, and also we will hear instruction about how to make sure that we are enjoying the blessings that God intended for a multicultural church. And then after a short break, we will come back and hear an inspiring message about the only family that unites all cultures of the world, which is the family of God. That message is about 45 minutes, so we expect to wrap up with everything by 1130. So, up first we have Brother Charles and Sister Antonia Schleicher. Sister Antonia is the group leader of the Apostolic Faith Group in Bloomington, Indiana. She is also a professor of languages, linguistics, and cultures at Indiana University. And she will be speaking to us about what culture is, and also outlining steps for managing cultural conflict. And this is information she's presented to our ministers in the past, but we're excited to have her share with a broader audience this morning. Her husband, Brother Charles, is the pastor of our church in Madison, Wisconsin. He has a PhD in linguistics from the University of Wisconsin, Madison, where he later taught linguistics and where he currently works as an academic advisor. And he will be speaking about Briefly, he will speak about the theology of culture and then the theology of conflict management, providing the biblical foundation for the same topics that Sister Antonia speaks about. So now, the Schleichers.
2: Good morning right there that is culture you don't talk to people in my culture without greeting them first it will be rude that's why I greeted you first so we're going to be talking about greater understanding multicultural christianity cross cultural you're going to hear you will hear many terms cross cultural intercultural multicultural they are very related so cross cultural so Bear in mind, if I interchange them, it's, they are, I'm talking about basically the same thing. So cross-cultural understanding requires a deeper level of thought. We cannot judge everything we see or hear on the surface. In order to avoid serious intercultural misunderstanding, we have to be able to make a distinction between outward behaviors and inward intention. This is why the subject of cultural studies is not only a very fascinating subject, but also a very complicated one. The goal of these presentations today, it's really to give us a greater understanding. Many of you are already familiar with these issues, but it's always good to learn more. That's really the whole purpose. The purpose is, you know, because we want to show that we love each other and we care. So we want to learn more about one another. So through these presentations, I would like to, have, I would like all of us to have a deeper understanding about what culture is, the, role, the crucial role of language in cultural understanding, the relationship between culture and ethnicity, and um, the kinds of misunderstandings that can occur as a result of lack of cultural knowledge, and how we can manage and resolve these cultural conflicts. Even after we are saved, sanctified, and baptized, it can still happen. And I will round up by the concept of knowing is a form of caring. Because people normally don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's why we are doing this. We want to find a way to know more about the cultural backgrounds of where all of us are coming from because we now have a global organization. Okay, so I'm going to quickly start with what is culture? Different fields of studies have attempted to to define culture. The first anthropological uh, definition of culture was given by one anthropologist, Edward Tyler, in 1920. And he said, culture is that complex whole which includes knowledge, belief, art, law, morals, custom, and any other capabilities and habits acquired by man as a member of a society. Then sociologists also attempted to define culture. They say that culture can be defined as the ways of thinking, the ways of acting, and the material objects that together shape a people's way of life. So in short, we say that um, culture is a way of life. Culture is seen to include everything people do or people learn to do. As a language pedagogist, we also have definitions for culture because when we teach language, language is so related to culture. So we we look at culture from three different perspectives. We talk about products of culture. We talk about, we, we, we call them three P's. Practice of culture. And then the perspectives of culture. When we talk about products of culture, we're talking about foods. Any of us who have traveled before, you know, when we went to India, we had to eat, we were eating Indian foods, which are different from the ones we eat in my country and in my culture. If I go, when I went to China, I was eating, there were so many foods there. But you know, when we talk, many of us, we stop at the products of culture. Clothing is also a product of culture. Art, music, architecture. You know, in language studies, we used to stop there. But you know, if I went to India and I said, I'm tired of eating rice, they won't be angry. They won't be upset with me. It's okay. But there are some aspects of culture that can bring, you know, kind of misunderstanding that is very important to learn. Practice of culture can a little bit can lead to misunderstanding. Because when we talk about, um, for example, greetings, some people will bow to greet one another. In my culture, if you are a girl, you kneel down to greet an older person. My American students always get a big kick when I try to tell them to kneel down for their professor. (laughs) And they will ask me, do you kneel down on a dirty road also I say you better kneel down <laughs> yes we do you know but that's Yoruba culture if you grow up in that culture it, you learn it because you see it so when we are teaching the language we are telling them the practice some cultures hug you know my husband we, are, we have this joke when Africans come nearly especially Nigerians or Yoruba when they come to our church and he tries to hug them he will do this and they will disappear you know, down because they are trying to bow and he's trying to hug them because we don't have the culture of hugging, you know. We just kneel or prostrate if you are a man. So these are practices of culture that it becomes so, you know, you used to because you grow up there. Some people shake hands. Some people don't, you know. So some people use left hand to give things. In my culture, it's a no-no, you know apology to left-handed people. They will make you switch everything to your right hand, you know, and when we, you know, last time when I was going to China, they had to train us, you don't give a professional card with one hand, You, you give it with two hands. So these are practices of culture that when we care about the people we are dealing with, we try to find out, let's find out what do they do and how do they do it. But the critical one that really could lead to a misunderstanding is the perspective of culture. Perspective of culture is at the heart of understanding or misunderstanding people outside of our own culture. This perspective is what answers questions like why? Why do people do what they do? My students will ask me, why do you kneel down? Isn't that subservient? I'll say no, it's to show respect. So they want to know why. You know, sometimes we, people will do things that will rub us on the wrong side. And, but if we just find out why do they do there is a reason why they do what they do and why they say what they say the way they do it. So, Before I go deeper into the perspectives, I want to quickly talk about the role of language in cultural understanding. You know, as a language teacher, this is really dear to my heart, you know, because the way we see the world is largely influenced by the language we use to discuss the world. So if I speak, and think in Romanian for example then i will have a d- very different perception of my environment and the world th- than someone who speaks and thinks in Chinese or Russian or Shona Shona's are from Zimbabwe or even Yoruba person so our perspective will differ because we speak and think in that language and similar to language, the culture we grow in influences the way we perceive the world. Compared with people who grew up in different cultures, you will have not only different values or morals, but also a different mindset and logic. So you see how closely related language and culture are. Language expresses our cultural values and morals and beliefs. This is why when two people from different cultures try to communicate, they may experience miscommunication. For example, when I came my first semester in the U.S., I already learned English, of course, and I already learned the word fat in English. The word that translates into fat in my culture is actually beautiful. It's okay to be fat. Actually, women, if you're getting ready to marry, sometimes they put you in fattening rooms to fatten you up for your wedding. Because you, need, you can be skinny. If you're skinny, that's unhealthy. It's like you're not eating. I'm the skinniest in my family. Every time I would go home, they would say, "Is there no food in America? Why are you so skinny?" You know, I would say, "I'm in America now." You know, I, I, you know, it's always a joke because they always wonder, "Why aren't you, you know, fat?" In my language. So when I came to this country. One of my directors invited me to her office. She she, she became like a big sister to me. She was the director of the program that brought me to this country. So one day, when I was in her office, she showed me her album. She said, Oh, this is my, look at this, Antonia. And so I started looking at the album. Then, when I saw a kind of skinny person, I said, Who is this? And then she said, Oh, that's me. And I said, Oh, Now, you are fatter. She she looked at me, she said, Antonia, if not because I really like and love you, I will strangle you right now. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm so new. I have no concept of what fatness means in American culture. It's okay in my culture, it's beautiful. So it was later I learned that in America, fat means something else. It has a different connotation, but look at what happens. It's the same word, but in my culture, it has a different meaning. So that's why a word in one language can mean something beautiful, but in another language, that same word can mean something different. So even when you think we know exactly what the person meant, we still need to stop and think. Maybe there could be another meaning I'm not aware of because of my lack of knowledge of this person's culture. I was happy because that director knew me. She's traveled internationally, so it was a joke. We, we kind of laughed at it, but in some places, you can laugh at it. After that experience, I started training my staff who I bring from, you know, that I brought from Nigeria directly, don't use FAT to an American woman, period. Never. Don't try it. (laughs) Actually, one of my staff made a mistake, you know, using it for, you know, to a graduate student, and I had to say, no, don't do it, don't use it, you know. So you see how, you know, we, we, we just... It's awareness. It, you know, he wasn't, he didn't mean, I didn't mean to insult her, but I wasn't aware. I needed to be taught that awareness, but just from the language that I'm using. So language and culture are very related. Somebody may sound like they are insulting you, even the gestures, you know, I'm bilingual now. When I'm speaking English, my tone differs, you know? I speak, you know, slowly more quiet, but when I'm speaking Yoruba, you will see me doing this. It's okay, you know, we use gestures, we use facial expression, we are like this, we, are, we can be loud. But when I switch to English, I change. Even my para language. So these are things, if I didn't learn it, I would be offending people left and right. So that's why we are having this, you know, session. I want to quickly talk about the issue of ethnicity and and um, and and culture ethnicity refers to people who identify themselves based on common ancestral cultural and social experience for example you know I am Yoruba, I'm Yoruba my ethnicity is Yoruba even though nationality now I can say I'm an American and I'm also Nigerian, I have a dual citizenship, you know, but inside me is Yoruba. That's my culture, that's the culture I grew up in. Now I'm also bicultural because I'm learning American culture that I've, you know, lived in. So culture is related to ethnicity in the sense that culture refers to values, beliefs, norms, and practices that are learned and shared by the same ethnic group. So, the concept of ethnicity is really what we should pay more attention to instead of the concept of race. This is because ethnicity is about cultural identity. The concept of race is a social construction that has no biological reality, period. It is not real. But on the other hand, racism is real, unfortunately, because it's used by those who concocted the concept of race to, um, you know, to to kind of um, uh, destroy, you know, really basically people but as christians as christians we should not we should not buy into the idea of race because it is not an, it is not a valid concept rather we should concentrate more on issues that will give us a better understanding of the different ethnic groups that we have to deal with not long after Charles and I got married when I was teaching at the University of Wisconsin. uh, There was a group, multicultural center. They called, they identified some mixed couples on campus, and they had a panel. They wanted to have a panel, and they called it interracial couples panels. So when we got there, I mean, it was, you know, you have American and Indian, American and African, different kinds of mixture. So we were there, everybody, we were, you know, they wanted us to come and talk about our experience as inter, you know, people from different, they call it race. But when it was our turn, Charles was the one who first spoke. He said, by the way, we don't see ourselves as an interracial couple, but we see ourselves as an intercultural couple, period. You know, when I married him and he married me, he's not thinking, "What is this black woman about all about? It's about who is Antonia. I want to learn who Antonia is. Then I want to learn about the, her, her culture. She started reading about Yoruba. He started reading about Yoruba culture, African culture. You know, I'm, you know, it's, he said we are, we are from one human race. We are from one human race. We are just from different cultural backgrounds. So we are bicultural, period. You know, he's. I started learning about his culture, and he's learning about my culture, so that we can understand one another. I don't know what white culture is. I just want to know what American culture is that I'm married into. You know, Sister Josephine and I are dark-skinned, but when I meet him, I'm not thinking, oh, what is her black culture? I'm thinking, I want to know about African-American culture, and she wants to know about my African culture. You know, that's it. It's it's the ethnicity. It's the cultural background. It's not, you know, this is not determined by by, by the color of her skin. That's why... We want to really make what is important, important. I'm going to come back to this issue of perspectives, but I'm going to give the podium to my husband. Thank you. Um, I just have
3: a very few uh, remarks to make, basically because while this is all really helpful and useful information, well, because it is, We have the privilege uh, as Christians of having uh, divine revelation, and I just want to make a very few uh, biblical points that buttress everything that Sister Antonia has said. Um, First of all, the fact that uh, God made humanity from Adam and Eve, that all 7 billion people on this planet have the same mom and dad. Basically, we all come from the same mom and dad. There never were multiple separate species of humans uh, where there's, there's just one species and really there's just one human race right now uh, We don't even have to go all the way back to Adam and Eve. You can, but you can just even go back to Noah and his wife uh, to get our own common ancestry. So we're literally all members of the same extended family Every human being on the planet. That's not only written in all the early chapters of Genesis, but it's explicitly stated in this verse uh, from Acts 17:26 that from one blood uh, God made all nations and set the bounds of their habitation. The apostle Paul preached those words to people who had never heard of the Bible, never heard of God. So you go to somebody who has never heard of God, never heard of the Bible. What is the very first thing you're going to tell them? The first two things he told them was that there's only one God, and all human beings come from one blood. That says a lot about how important that fact is, and that's we have that from divine revelation. The second point is that this one extended family had to be scattered by God right from the city of Babel. We read about that. This is all very familiar to us, but we want to appreciate the role these facts play in our lives. God scattered them. We can say that's God's judgment, but we can also see God's mercy and compassion because the division came from sin. Sin brings about division all the time. It brings about division, fear, mutual suspicion, mutual hostility. And that's what it did at the city of Babel. But what God also did was he set the bounds of their habitation, which means he said, this family's going to go over here. This family's going to migrate in this direction. God knew where they were going. God gave them the knowledge. How are you going to go in completely uncharted land? How are you going to know what food you can eat? Which plants are good? Which plants are toxic? That knowledge how you cope in your environment, and how to pass that knowledge from one generation to the next, that's a major function of culture. God invented that. So the very fact that we have all these different cultures around the world started from the fact that God took care of our ancestors even when we messed it up, or our ancestors messed it up because of sin. So, um, so that's the other point. Um, the other, the third point is, gets to the fact that the, the problem, even though God helped us cope with our environment, environment is not really the, the ultimate problem. The ultimate problem is spiritual. All of our other problems, environmental, political, social, economic, psychological, come from a spiritual problem, and that's sin. And that sin also is because we're from one blood. Because from one man's disobedience, we all became sinners. And God's solution for that is that from one man's obedience, all of us can be made righteous. And that's uh, so that simple fact is something every human being has ever, that has ever lived has in common. Uh, and the final point which derives from that is the fact that when we are in Jesus Christ, that's the one man whose obedience makes us all righteous, then all of these other problems can be solved. So when we read in uh, Galatians that um, when we're in Christ, there's no Jew or Greek, there's no bond or free, there's no male or female, Jew or Greek, that's culture. Bond or free, that's social standing, socioeconomic class. Male or female, that's gender. Those are the three universal dividers. Human beings have all kinds of ways of dividing each other, but those are the three that you find all over the world. And in Christ, those things don't matter. They still exist, right? We all know we're all male and female here. We're all men and women. We all belong uh, from, we all come from different cultures, we come from different backgrounds, different foregrounds, different, you know, social standing. But that's not relevant to our fellowship because our fellowship is with Jesus Christ. And so, we can't expect the world to behave this way. Without Jesus Christ, every other solution will fail. Every other solution is just going—it it can't work. Without Christ, there's going to be division, fear, mutual suspicion, mutual hostility. But with Christ, all of us uh, can be one, and those different cultures, we transcend all of that—the classes, the genders—we just, just transcend all of that in Christ. I'm not just going to leave you with that thought, I'm going to hand that thought over to Sister Antonia, who's going to take it to the next level, talking about managing cultural
2: conflict. So let's quickly go back to the issue of perspectives of culture. Because these are reasons why people do what they do, the way they do it. And why they say what they say, the way they do it. It's the culture that they've grown you know, in. Every single culture has some basic fundamental principles that it tries to adhere to. For the most part, these principles are universal. But as we move from one culture to the other, how these principles are practiced or manifested can differ and can also lead to a big misunderstanding across cultures. For example, every culture has a way to show that they respect someone. Principle of respect is universal. Every culture has a way to show that they like someone. We all show we like people in our different cultures. But how these principles are expressed can be offensive in one culture and acceptable in another. But the place where misunderstanding happens is when we have the tendency, and it's natural, to interpret what someone does from our own cultural lenses. It's natural. But we can learn, you know. So let me give you one example. Before we started the... before. We, we, we have a church, before we had a church in Madison, Wisconsin, we used to go to Richland Center to worship, and it's about, you know, roughly, depending on the traffic, about one and a half hours one way. So we will go in the morning, then we will spend the afternoon at our pastor's house, and his wife, you know, they will invite us. We always spend the afternoon there. We have our own, they already have a room for us. You know, we will stay there, we'll rest, and then we will go for evening service and then go home after the evening service back to Madison. We did this for about basically seven and a half years before we had a church in Madison. So our pastor and his wife's, home was a home away from home for us. We saw them as our friends, I did. I saw them as our friends, our mentors, you know, even our father. So we, I felt at home. So one day we went, we went there and uh, my pastor's wife after we finished eating i would usually do the dishes in the kitchen with her so we were doing the dishes and then she said ah sister antonia you will not believe what happened we were going to medford we on on friday a weekend we drove to madison because that's where the airport is we didn't know it was a full ball night we they were leaving saturday very early in the morning and then she said, there was no hotel anywhere, everywhere was booked. They came like at night, like around 12 midnights, thinking they would just have a hotel and sleep and then go straight to the airport from there. They couldn't find a hotel, and then they drove back. And as she was telling me this, and then she said, you know, and I was thinking in my mind, I didn't see anything. I said... They drove back, but they are our friends. Why didn't they call us? They know we live in Madison. Friends can, you know, in my culture, you can come anytime, even 2 a.m., you can knock on people's door. Ah, I was really, really upset. So when we were going back home that day, I told my husband, because he's an American, so I was running my, you know, anger. I said, honey... You can't believe what our, you know these people do. I thought they are our friends. They didn't. They, they came to medicine so late. They didn't call us. They went back. We had a, we were living in an apartment, but we had a two-bedroom apartment. There's one we could have. We, in my culture, we would have even left our bedroom for them. And I said, why? Why would they do that? And I said, that means they are not really our friends as I thought. So they don't really like us, as I thought they did. Because if they like us, they should have freely come. And my husband looked at me. He let me calm down. And then he said, honey, actually, you know what they did? They did it out of respect. And I said, what respect? How can that be respect? Respect is when you knock on my door. showing me that you love me and you are my friend. And then my husband, this is the kicker. My husband said, you know, if I were in their shoes, I would have done the same thing. And my eyes opened. I know he loves me. I know he's my friend. I know he cares. And if he would do the same thing, that means it's okay in this culture. You know, I wrote a paper in my field on this topic because it was such a good cultural understanding for me. It was something I needed to know. And it also helped me to be able to value this couple more. But you know, where did the misunderstanding came, I mean, come from? It's because I was interpreting what they did from my own cultural lenses. I didn't ask them why. But fortunately, I had an American <laughs> with me to ask, you know. So the question is, how do you act instead of, you know, like getting upset, getting angry, look at these people, they did this, they did that. How, what do we do? Find out why. Why people do what they do before you get all angry. Ask the why question. When we find ourselves troubled by a fellow believer's behavior, a helpful course of action is to stop and ask ourselves a simple question, why? Why did he or she do this? Could the behavior be rooted in culture? If so, what was the cultural belief that led to it? Many times that will make things clear. So we, must, we need to learn to distinguish between Bible commands and cultural standards. The Bible instructs us to show friendliness, but it does not say whether or not to knock on someone's door in the middle of the night, right? Nothing. They didn't do anything wrong. They are saved, sanctified, and baptized, and I I was, I'm, I'm saved. I was saved and sanctified and baptized but I still had a problem with what they did because of my lack of cultural understanding. When people do things differently than we would, that does not mean they are wrong. Their way is just different. So even when we think we know, just still stop. Maybe I still don't know. Maybe I still don't know very well. I need to find out. Holiness plays a major and critical role in managing and resolving cultural conflict. As Christians, even though we all come from different cultural backgrounds, to the extent that our culture contradicts the Bible culture of holiness, then that culture is wrong. We cannot hide under the excuse, it is my culture. Just as we say in cultural studies that culture is a way of life, so also is Christianity a way of life. It is. When there is a collision between these two ways of life, which one goes out? It our culture it is and it will be our traditional practices for example (laughs) you know we don't want to talk about a so-called brother that beats his wife no from Christian cultural practices no true Christian brother beats his wife even if your culture says it's okay but Christian culture says no you don't do that We were having a Bible study in Madison one time, Brother Al Smith. That was when they came to help us remodel the church. And one of an African person was, was uh, this is a real story, uh, was leading the Bible study and he was talking about Brother so-and-so beat his wife. Brother Al just jumped up and said, Sister, don't call that person a brother. He can be a brother. <laughs> and it's true. And we were all like, yes, it's true. Even if that's okay in your culture, but when we move into Christian culture, the culture of holiness, we have to now start reevaluating Because there's no single culture in the world that corresponds to the culture of holiness. We still have to adjust many things. The popular concept of faith-saving in Asian cultures, when we see it, you know, Asians will say, oh, we just do it to avoid conflict. But if you look at it from the culture of holiness, it could be a lie. It could be lying. But one culture calls it faith-saving to avoid conflict. But if the culture of holiness says, no, you can't do that, It's, it's lying. You can't just change stories on people because you are trying to avoid conflict. So that's where the culture of holiness takes priority. No room for the traditions of our forefathers that contradict the Bible. If our cultural practices contradict the Christian culture, the Christian culture will overrule those cultural practices. So what do all these issues about our individual or cultural practices have to do with culture of holiness? A lot. If our brother or sister's cultural practices do not contradict any biblical principles, even if we do not care much about these cultural practices, we can at least, in the name of unity, be tolerant. This is where holiness helps us. We can look at it and say, I don't really care about this, but he's my brother, he's my sister. I will, you know, tolerate it. But if they do, if the cultural practices actually contradict the Bible teachings, then we need to take a stand. Because then that's carnality, and we don't don't want that. We want to take a stand against that. We need to be able to forgive easily, but do not be offended easily. Often cultural miscommunications are a source of laughter, like the case with my director when I used the word fat and you know, she was like, whoa. But there are times when it's not a a laughing matter. However, in the worst of cases, our own fellow believers may unknowingly embarrass, insult, or even hurt us. When this occurs, we have to make a choice Will we hold a grudge or will we forgive? The culture of holiness says forgive. And talk, talk to the person, resolve it. Culture of holiness, when embraced and practiced, helps us to easily forgive our brethren. When they hurt us unknowingly, because it has to be unknowingly. No holy person will go around and say, I'm going to hurt you, no they don't. It's usually unknowingly. So instead of holding a grudge against them, we need to forgive. However, if our individual collective cultural practices are causing discomfort among other brethren, then we need to ask ourselves a serious question of why we want to continue with the cultural practices that are only causing divisions and not unity. You see, this is not, I'm not talking about when it is sinful or it contradicts. Even if we have a cultural practice that is robbing other people, um, you know, we can, we can adjust, you know. We are not legally bound, you know, with, with these cultural practices, you know. It's like when, when I'm with Africans, I put on my African hat. When I'm with Americans, I put on my American hat. Because there are things, they are okay, but if I know it, they will be offensive to my American friends or brethren, I, I try to avoid it. And the same way, I know many of us, many Americans also do that when they meet also people outside of their culture. The Christian culture and holiness unite us more than our individual cultures. Yes, this is a fact, because some things that the world will not forgive, we forgive it because of the culture of holiness. That's why culture of holiness unites us. So when division starts happening, we need to go back to the question of holiness, because that's where the unity is centered when we pursue holiness and choose an attitude of love and respect toward our brothers and sisters from other cultures, we will have the blessing of God as we serve him together. So I'm going to turn the podium over back to my, to brother Charles.
3: Thank you, Sister Antonia. I just have one remark to say, because once again, uh, the Bible gives us um, very clear instructions that buttress what Sister Antonia has been saying. And those are instructions about uh, conflict resolution again. And those are just instructions straightforwardly given to to us by Jesus Christ. And they're uh, printed up there on the screen. They couldn't be clearer. If you have um, a conflict with a brother or sister, you talk to them privately, and the two of you can work it out. I should really emphasize these instructions are predicated on the reality of our experience with God, that we've had experienced experience the new birth. We experienced Jesus Christ coming into our lives, and uh, we have an ongoing relationship with him. Uh, the more so the, when we have had the experience of being sanctified and, and being baptized in the Holy Spirit and all the experiences that God uh, has for us. You have, when we have that reality, we get together with a brother or sister privately, work out that conflict, talk it over, God resolves it. If for some reason, maybe because of culture or whatever reason, there's, that doesn't work, you get a disinterested third party, they come in. If that doesn't do it, then you bring in the leadership. At that point, there may be a more spiritual issue involved. But these instructions couldn't be clearer. If they'd been delivered in the 21st century, they'd come with screenshots. That's how clear this is. They'd like, step by step, this is what works. And it works. Uh, we have explicit examples in the book of Acts. In the sixth chapter and in the tenth, uh, 15th chapter, where in the sixth chapter, you had two langu- language groups in the same church, and the one that's more in the minority, was upset because their widows weren't being taken care of. In the 15th chapter, there was the whole issue of what do we do with Gentile believers? What does that mean with the law of Moses? And ultimately, it came to the leadership to settle that issue because they were in tune with the Holy Spirit, the congregation was in tune with the Holy Spirit, even though they started out with very different points of view when the Spirit of God uh, brought that Here's the answer through the leadership. It was like, right, that makes sense. So God has given us very clear instructions about how to carry this out. All we have to do is stay close to God and follow his instructions. And it works.
2: So I'm going to round up with the concept of knowing is a form of caring. That's the whole point of these sessions. We are doing this because we want us to gain a greater understanding of one another because we care and love each other. But people really don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And one of the ways we show that we care is by trying to know who we are dealing with. It is true, no matter how hard we might try, there will be cultural misunderstanding because we cannot possibly learn and know everything about every new culture we interact with. But if we pull the culture of holiness in the forefront of our behavior and actions, it will be easier to try not to judge everything we see and hear from our cultural, from our own cultural lenses only. We will be willing to give people the benefit of the doubt. We will be willing to try to learn anything we can about the culture of the people we interact with from other cultures. When we were going to be going to India, we had the opportunity to go to India, the first thing we started doing is, let's learn about Indian culture. We don't want to make a fool of ourselves. We don't want to do things that they may not tell us, but can be, so that's showing care. We care about them. We are not going there to say, here we are, we Americans, we want you to do things the way we do. No, we want to know where they are coming from. So we will be more understanding towards different cultural non sinful practices but have zero tolerance for carnality that is covered up under the excuse of it's my culture. So trying to know where our fellow sister and brother is coming from is a way of showing we care. Having a greater understanding of our sisters and brothers' different cultures so that we can relate with them with knowledge is one way that we can show that we care for and about them. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you to Brother Charles and Sister Antonia. I will quickly note that last summer in our magazine we published an article by Sister Antonia on the same topic and we have copies of that article available in the Narthex and at the two other main entrances. And the material really applies not just in cross-cultural interactions but so many other scenarios as well. So be sure to get a copy if you haven't read that already. And the last segment, before we take a quick break, will be presented by Brother Mark Stoller, who is the pastor of our church in Tehachapi, California, and who also happens to be my uncle. He has a PhD in rhetoric from the University of California, Berkeley, and he has taught rhetoric courses for over 30 years. He is currently teaching at Bakersfield College, courses such as public speaking, and especially relevant for us today, intercultural communication. He has also for several years trained our ministers in public speaking strategies and even written a handbook for them. And this segment we have named Mind the Metaphor and we asked him to share insights that would be especially helpful for Sunday school teachers and ministers who are speaking to a multicultural audience. So now, Brother Mark with Mind the Metaphor.
4: Thank you, niece, Katie. Although I misspelled your name the other day, I apologize. I did not come up with the title, Mind the Metaphor, but I like it, it's catchy. It's got a little bit of alliteration to it. Mind the Metaphor. So um, I'm going to use repetition here and translate that title three different ways. Mind the Metaphor means, be mindful of the comparisons you use when teaching and preaching the word of God. Mind the metaphor means think about how your comparisons and examples will affect the particular audience you are addressing. Third and final time, mind the metaphor means when you use metaphors and analogies and other figures of speech, be sensitive to and aware of Your audience. I was eating lunch with my sister-in-law the other day. I told her I was doing this presentation. And I kind of said what I just said to you. And she said, oh, that's what Jesus did, right? You know, Jesus was very sensitive to his audience. So I said, that is correct. Um, In Matthew 13, uh, Mark chapter 4, and Luke chapter 8, Jesus presents the parable of the sower and the seed. Do you remember the parable of the sower and the seed? And uh, part of the lesson we learned from that parable is that as we sow the seed of God's word, we must think about the type of heart ground it is falling upon. Sometimes comparisons and analogies are used to shock and confuse. Um, Jesus said this in some of his parables. Some of the imagery of revelation is mysterious But oftentimes, as a a Sunday school teacher or as a Bible teacher or a preacher of God's word, our objective of using a a comparison is to help our audience understand and comprehend our topic. So an important principle of effective use of comparisons is you want to compare something less well-known and harder to understand to something that is more well-known and easier to understand uh, In spiritual matters comparisons illustrations and examples are especially important because when we're dealing with spiritual matters we're not dealing with physical things that you can touch uh, we're, we're dealing with the deep things of God so Uh, If you're a Sunday school teacher, a preacher, you probably put a lot of thought into your object lessons, into your illustrations, because you know, well, just like Sister Josephine last night in her sermon, she was trying to get us to think about how our souls long for a relationship with God. So she used as her text uh, the psalm that used the, the analogy of a deer panting for the water. Wasn't that a beautiful illustration? And it helps us think about how much our souls long for God. Heaven, I think there's a scripture that says, I hath not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for us. So remember what Jesus does in the Gospel of Matthew? Over and over again to give us insights into what heaven is like, he would say, The kingdom of heaven is like unto. And then he would give us those examples. Uh, If you're attending Sunday school this Sunday, there's a beautiful comparison that the adult Sunday school lesson is built based upon. We're going to be studying about the church, the, 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 the mystical body of Christ, how we're all part of the church of God. And we're going to be using 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which compares that less well-known, harder-to-understand body of Christ to the more well-known, easier-to-understand physical body. And so I'm probably going to be using the whiteboard on Sunday and doing a cartoon drawing of a body because I think my audience can relate to a physical body and then I can relate that to the body of Christ. Uh, Jesus' followers saw how Jesus was a master at using comparisons that his audience could relate to. Remember when Jesus called some disciples and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? Did he say that to Matthew the publican? the, the tax, He didn't, did he? He said, follow you and I will make you fishers of men to Peter and Andrew And James and John, because they were fishers of fish. So he says, here are fishermen, and I want them to become my disciples and follow me. So he used an example that they could relate to. The last 2,000 years, the gospel of Jesus Christ has spread around the world into every culture and people group. Because Bible teachers, Sunday school teachers, and ministers of the Word of God have effectively used comparisons and illustrations that many different people groups can relate to. So as you are uh, preaching and teaching to someone, um, let's start with national cultures, because When I speak in my intercultural class, usually that's what my students are thinking of. They're thinking of having to go into another country and meet someone from a a different country and interact with them. And I'm sure if you were preaching in another country, teaching in another country, you'd be very aware of and thinking about the comparisons you use. Or maybe you wouldn't. Let me just give you one example. The difference between baseball and cricket uh, evidently, I understand. As an American, cricket is kind of like baseball. They have a, a bat of some kind. But I must tell you, I do not understand the game of cricket. And I've I've tried. I've I've watched some uh, movies where they were playing cricket. I think there were some murder mysteries I saw where they involved a cricket game. Uh, I've gotten online and I've learned words like bales, stumps, wickets. What is a wicket anyway? I don't, is it is it the thing in the ground? Is it the thing? I don't know. I think I'm a fairly intelligent human being, but if you were preaching a sermon to me, or or trying to teach a Bible study to me, and you used a wicket example, or a cricket example, <laughs> I would be. Totally lost, totally confused, and, and kind of frustrated. So uh, I need to keep that in mind when I uh, am preaching and teaching to other people. I think in my uh, uh, instructions on public speaking, I used a baseball analogy. And I talked about how you have to uh, touch each base in order to hit a home run, and uh, I hope I explained that analogy in, in, in detail enough. Because now I'm realizing, they don't play baseball in every country of the world, do they? So we have to be sensitive to the comparisons that we use. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for 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 not using the cricket analogy on me. Uh, one other word that we have to be uh, really aware of, though, uh, when we're talking about cross-cultural communication or intercultural communication, are, is the word co-culture. And you don't have to go to another country to be uh, speaking cross-culturally because typically a lot of us are not like Sister Antonia where we have dual citizenship, where we're uh, citizens of two different countries. But you are a member of many different co-cultures. So uh, just like uh, we can have a national culture, uh, we have co-cultures that we belong to. I didn't realize how much my regional culture was important to me until I was getting out of graduate school and looking for a job. And I realized I had no desire to teach in Iowa or Kansas. The only place my mind could open to were places in Oregon, Washington, and California. And I realized, Mark, you are a West Coast boy. Yeah, my regional culture is very important to me. And so we need to understand even when we are Americans preaching and teaching to Americans, we are involved in cross-cultural communication because you might be a man speaking to a group of women, an older person speaking to a group of younger people, and we need to choose our examples carefully when we are uh, speaking to one, so uh, speaking to a, a group of people. So I'd like to share an example of one of my fails uh, in cross-cultural communication. I love going to Phoenix, Arizona. Brother Amos and Sister Boomy are always so hospitable, and they invited me out to do a week of uh, Bible teachings. And uh, I did a 45-minute Bible teaching. I forget what the Bible topic was. I don't know how people remember other people's sermons. I can't even remember my own. Whatever it was, though, I used an example of Abraham Lincoln, uh, and I think it was uh, one of the prayers he prayed or something. And I thought it went over very well. And then after, uh, after, after the prayer service was over, uh, we were having a little social hour and eating some food together. And uh, brother, help me out, brother Charles Byron. Byron Brother Byron White was there, and uh, he is Lakota. Uh, Native American, and as we were eating, he said, you know, Brother Mark, uh, not all Native Americans have the most positive feelings and thoughts about Abraham Lincoln, and uh, I did not ask him all the details, but uh, I was researching again for this this, uh, presentation, and I realized how nice Brother Byron was being to me because I think his particular tribe had a terrible experience with Abraham Lincoln. And I I, uh, thanked Brother Byron for letting me know that. And you know how that's helped me in, in so much since then? Because in my congregation in Tehachapi, I have a fairly large Native American contingent. So if I had known that Brother Byron was going to be there, there's no reason I couldn't have switched my example uh, to another example so that I wouldn't be uh, touching that, that button for him. So mind your metaphor. Uh, be mindful of the comparisons and examples you're, you're using and uh, choose them for your particular example. Now that might seem overwhelming to some of you. you might be saying, you mean it's not enough just to know the word of God? It's not enough just to develop some good examples and comparisons and some quotations I really like. Now I've got to try to learn all about my audience, too. And every time I preach and teach, i got to be thinking about their particular background. If you want to be an excellent teacher and preacher, that is correct. So uh, just like to be an excellent fisherman, I under I'm not an excellent fisherman, by the way, but I understand... You just can't get one kind of bait and then expect that you'll always catch fish with that kind of bait. Evidently, you have to know what time of day it is, what kind of fish you're looking for. And uh, people would just say, get over it, Mark. If you want to be an excellent fisherman, you're going to have to learn a lot more about fish. So if you want to be an excellent fisher of men and women, yes, you're going to study the word of God. You're going to uh, get out your uh, examples that you use, and you're also going to learn as much as you can about your audience. Can I give you one more example? Uh, this is a food example. If you don't know, I'm a foodie. I love food, and I usually feel safe with food examples because I understand we all eat almost every day. When I was uh, coming up here to Portland, my wife and I drove up from Tehachapi. That's a long drive. And we spent the night in Richmond, and Brother Bob and Sister Brenda Bishop hosted us. And I called her ahead of time to let her know when we would be arriving in town. And I said, we could eat out or, you know, whatever you prefer. And she was such a gracious hostess. And she even said to me, Brother Mark, and I could tell she had a, some kind of a notepad with her, do you have any food allergies? Are you still on your keto diet? Uh, Is there anything I need to know about your father's eating habits? And she was taking notes. When we got to Richmond, it was such a lovely visit. They just put it at ease, and Sister Brenda served us a delicious, nutritious, wonderful meal. And I knew that she had put thought into exactly what our needs were as she prepared that meal for us. If you want to bring people to the table of the Lord, you need to think not only about the the scriptures that you're using, they're all wonderful scriptures, but you also need to think about the particular audience you're addressing. I have a young lady in my congregation who's allergic to strawberries. One other fail, I went to the store and bought her groceries. I thought I was being kind, I thought I was being nice. And I bought strawberry jam. She said, Pastor Mark, you know I'm allergic to strawberries. And uh, so, brothers and sisters, mind your metaphors. But as you do, your congregation, your Sunday school class, the people you're ministering to, they're going to know that you care about them um, by by your sensitivity and your use of metaphors, examples, and illustrations that are designed just for them. God bless each one of you.
1: Okay, thank you, Brother Mark. So at this time, we're gonna have a short break, and um, just to give you a chance to move around a little bit and stretch, and we will plan to start back no later than 10.30. This past February, our church in Washington, D.C., celebrated Black History Month by recognizing the contributions of several different African-American gospel workers, including the leader of the Azusa Revival, William Seymour, and the founder of our DC church, Reverend Mary Kelly. And then for the last Sunday of the month, they held their annual culture day service, where they recognized and celebrated over a dozen different cultures that are represented in their congregation and it was a beautiful service that in many ways embodied the spirit of what this session is all about so when we saw the morning message that was given by brother demetrius mckelvin we felt compelled to include it in this session so our final segment will be a recording of the message that he gave that morning many of us recognize the name mckelvin because of sister josephine our east coast district superintendent and Brother Demetrius is her brother-in-law. The DC church has been his home church for his whole life, and his father, the late Reverend John McKelvin, was the pastor there for over a decade. Brother Demetrius has served over the years as a youth leader, Sunday school teacher, Sunday school superintendent, choir director, and many other roles and um, he also served in the Marine Corps for four years, and for the last 35 years, he has worked for Verizon. He is currently a senior manager for Verizon Global Network Operations, and he is responsible for the federal government services and the DC and Maryland networks. This summer, he will celebrate 37 years of marriage with his wife, Linda, and together they have two daughters and two grandchildren. For the cultural day, he was wearing a Nigerian outfit that had been given to him by a Nigerian brother. And he spoke about being children of our Father in heaven, a truly inspiring word for us today, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it.
5: Praise the Lord. We thank God to be here one more time. We thank God for another opportunity to celebrate our cultural day here in Washington, D.C. And and the one thing about it, as the pastor, uh, uh, as she gave the introduction, um, the the evolution of our cultural day here in Washington uh, was based on our uh, uh, desire to make the tent larger. Amen. Um, It's very hard. Uh, believe it, m- Many of you may know it, but if you've been in a, in a monolithic society where only your culture has been represented, uh, represented and only your culture may be visible, um, it's very hard to adopt and adapt new things. Amen. Especially when you get my age and you get a few gray hairs on your head, um, you're going to be very hard to learn new things. As my wife and I travel, my wife loves to travel, praise God, and uh, she likes to try new things, amen. It's just in her. Whatever the food of the day is, she will reach out and get a bowl of it, and me, I'm scanning the horizon for the golden arches or something a little bit familiar to my taste buds. But that's me, amen. But we all have in us biases or resistance built up And those aren't negative. They're just the fact that the longer you live, the more you get used to it. For me, peanut butter and jelly, that's all I need. Amen. You give me a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a a, a glass of milk, and you can forget all about all of the the, the nice trimmings, but that's me. Amen. Some people need more. Um, And and a little bit about the, the tradition of the cultural day uh, you know we we have this black history month for a reason and it is to educate and remind uh, our black youth that are born here uh, in the United States and abroad of the history of their uh, uh, introduction here in America whether it was through slavery or immigration amen but the one thing we found is that we had similar stories amen we had, we had similar challenges as the more I got to know my brethren from Sierra Leone or whether it was from Nigeria or Ghana, amen, I heard similar things. Uh, and, and the challenge is always, somebody always will say, if, uh, if we knew our history, amen, you've heard it before, if we only knew our history, we could live better, amen. Uh, I wish that were true, Hallelujah. We, we have no uh, reference to say that any people that are on the earth today are in their original state, amen. They were either imposed upon by war or they were imposed upon by people that were just being opportunists. But every, every uh, uh, nation under the, under the sun has had an impact of an outside influence, amen. But we think, though, that we think that if we could just get to the, to the beginning of our history, if we, could just, if we could just know our history, it would deliver us. Amen. And I, 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 I wish that were true, but this morning we only have a little time and we, we, we can't uh, philosophize on, on what uh, we don't have in hand as fact, but we can talk about what we do know. Amen. Hallelujah. In the Word of God, there's some clear examples of people who knew their history. Amen? Amen. We're going to go all the way back and we're going to talk about the blood of Jesus. And for a topic this morning, we're going to just take for this topic nothing but the blood. Amen? Amen? Now, we look at things differently today because we have Google and we think we have information. Amen? I mean, truly, out there right now, is the information on anything you need. But the question is, do you know what to believe? Amen? Somebody's going to say it one way, and if you keep on researching, you're going to see where somebody says it another. Somebody saw it one way, and then somebody's going to dig up and find something that was 200 years older, and it's going to say it differently, and we just go round and round looking for information. Hallelujah. But the one thing that is true is God, is, the Bible was not written uh, as a, just as a historical document, but it's one that would teach us how to live and how to love one another. Amen? Because regardless of what time, I've been doing a little bit of research and as far back as I can go, I can't find a time where there was peace. Amen. So let's let's take a look at it and, 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 and things will develop, but we want to take a look at what's important. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't want to take this day and and, and, and denounce the importance of history. You know, I, I, I did a, a few readings this week and I read up on the, the history of a preacher by the name of Vernon Johns. Many of us are familiar with Vernon Johns. He, pre, he preceded Dr. Martin Luther King at Dexter uh, Baptist Church and, and Dexter Street and we, we, we know a little bit about him. So it's good to know your history. I'm not discounting that we ought to know. But I can't get anything from the reading of his history that would make me love my brothers or my sisters or my enemies anymore hallelujah because depending on what side of history you read it's gonna generate feelings hallelujah It's either gonna generate pride and sometimes you read generate disappointment and it can generate hatred it can generate animosity but the truth of the matter is God created man and God created a standard by which we ought to live hallelujah God created a standard by which we ought to treat each other and God created a standard by which only he hallelujah can 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 judge any of us if we look quickly in Matthew 538 to 48 See we're seeking a peace. We're seeking something that we can't get from history. Amen. I've had many conversations with people who have immigrated here to the United States and I've had conversations with those uh, from the south that are born here and, and, and I'm just going to tell you the truth. I hear a little something from, from both sides that just don't seem uh, to make sense. It's still, a, it's still an unspoken uh, tension. Although we may have the same skin color and the same hair texture, amen, we, 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 because of our histories and because of what we've been taught and because of what we've been told, it hasn't solved any of the problems that we assume. So we, we can we can pretty much throw out the fact that the color of our skin is 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 a deciding factor, amen. It's something we focus on, but even when we are of the same hue and of the same background and of the same ethnicity, it doesn't produce peace. Amen. In Matthew 5, 38 to 48. It says you have heard that it had been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. This is Jesus talking to the Jews at the time. They, these were Jewish people. This was cut from uh, 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 the law. Amen. The teachings. He said, "But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn him the other also." And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. That's your jacket. Let him have the pants, the coat, the top piece, the underpiece. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him two miles. Go twain. Give to him that asketh of thee and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. Turn not thou away away. Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. This was the teaching at the time. Enemy, no. Neighbor, yes, right? Uh, and then verse 44 said, But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you, and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Meaning, if you want to be, if you want to know your heritage, we were created by God in his image and in his likeness. Hallelujah. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what you hold to. If you want to know your history, it has to start with the creation. Amen. Amen. And so what Jesus is saying is all of the things you've been taught through tradition, amen, it may sound good to you, may feel good to you, an eye for an eye. Hallelujah. I don't know any culture that doesn't live, that lives by that eye for an eye, amen, that doesn't have a lot of one-eyed people walking around, amen. It can't achieve nothing. At the end of the day, you can't repent from it. Hallelujah. Because once I take your eye and you take mine, we can't put them back. So we're going back to what God said. And so what Jesus is trying to remind him is that of all the things that you are holding on to. Hallelujah. Or we. Amen. He said that ye may be the children of your father. Now. You heard earlier, we all talked about our heritage. You know, not every child that's born knows who their father is. Some because the parents didn't stay together, some because uh, of, of various situations I won't get into, but not every child knows their father. But the ones that do, the more I look in the mirror, I was doing a video this morning, And I couldn't hardly finish the video because when I look in the video, I kept seeing Brother Mac looking back at me. Amen. The older I get, the more I look like him. Amen. So I know who my father is, and I have the privilege of every time I walk through the church door, I see his picture on the wall, but his ways are not the ways that God is talking about. The ways of our father, what did my father teach me? My father taught me some pretty important lessons about hard work. Amen. Taught me how to, how to, how to respect my elders. He taught me some very important lessons. But that's not the lesson that God is talking about. He's trying to teach us how to live with each other again. See, so Jesus is saying that ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. You think God doesn't know or doesn't see the evil that's going on in the world? But yet we ourselves take it upon ourselves to feel like it's up to us. To right the evil. But Jesus is saying something contradictory. He's saying, and and, 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 and I'm sure at the time, the reason it sounds so normal to us is because we've been listening to it for 2,000 years. But imagine the first day he got up and preached that one. Hallelujah. How many amens you think he got from that one? Amen. Somebody sue you to take your clothes wrongfully. Give them the rest of your clothes. Hallelujah. This Jesus, first one that we read anywhere, where somebody saying if somebody come up and smack you in the face, don't retaliate. Turn the other cheek and give them that one too. Hallelujah. But we, we feel like if we know our history, we could live together. He finishes up and says, do not even the publicans do the same? And if we salute our brethren only, What do ye more than others? Now, when I went to boot camp, when I was in the Marine Corps, I grew up right here in Washington, DC. And in the area I grew up in at the time was before segregation. And before segregation, if you lived in a predominantly black neighborhood, you pretty much only saw black people, amen? If you lived in a predominantly white neighborhood, maybe in the suburbs, Montgomery County, you, you, it didn't, it's not that you didn't see any, but not enough to get to know anybody, amen? You, you, didn't, you didn't see enough to really get a comfort level. So, so I grew up in that age where integration happened and, and it was all about teaching out, but it didn't teach us how to love one another, amen? There were rules, there were plenty of rules, there were plenty of things written, amen. But it did not teach us how to treat one another. All we had was our history, hallelujah. And and when we look at the, the the society as a whole, that's all we have is what happened yesterday. Why don't you like me? Well, let me turn the page back to yesterday and see what it is that 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 happened but it's the condition of the heart and of the soul. And at no stage can you go back in history and find that there was a different state of anyone unless God had come into their life, unless there had been a change. So everything Jesus was saying was remarkable. Hallelujah. Forgive one another, amen. Treat somebody as though love thy neighbor as you love yourself these hallelujah but they couldn't hear it they couldn't understand it they couldn't receive it and so here we are today over 2,000 years later dealing with the same condition because we cannot get past the color of our skin the tongue we speak the language we speak the food we eat People are offended when somebody doesn't like your food. Amen. My mother was one of them. She thought that our food was the best food. Amen. And anybody that didn't eat that food, something might have been a little wrong with them. And that anybody else's food, you don't mess with nobody else's food. This is culture. But it's culture turned upside down. It's not what God designed. It's not what God would have us to be to reduce to a bunch of people that because you come to my house and don't eat chitlins, I'm offended. It took me 60, almost going on. It took me all the years of my life now to love the things I love. But if you come into my house, I expect you on the first try, taste these chitlins and love them. Amen. That's not not what culture is for. That's not what it's about. It shouldn't be an expectation. This morning, I adorned this, this attire. I love it. One of my brothers from Nigeria had it made for me. Now, how was he able to pick this out? Well, he sees the type of clothes that I wear in my Western clothes and he knows the quality of the clothes I wear. So he was able to pick something out without me being there that I happen to love. And how did he do that? By getting to know me, hallelujah. See, it's all about what we know. It's not about the culture. It's not to use against or compare, but to invite. So when I received it, I received it exactly the way he meant it, hallelujah. And when I stand in this morning, I feel proud to wear it. Now, nobody knows where I'm from. There's people that say, well, I'm from the west part of Africa or I'm from the southern part. I don't know where I'm from, and I'm not going to a a library to find out. Hallelujah. Because I have something better. I have a home beyond. That's what Jesus was trying to tell them. you worrying about the history of your father here on earth. Learn about the history of your father, which is in heaven. Hallelujah. I'm not going to get no peace from researching my father's history. I'm going to find good or bad. But it's not going to get me where I need to go. Hallelujah. Here's the, here's the history. Here's the, here's the case in point. In, in the book of Genesis... Nothing new. We're all familiar. In the book of Genesis, fourth chapter, first verse, and Adam knew Eve, his wife. Y'all like, Brother D, are you literally getting ready to take it all the way back to Genesis? Yes, amen. But I'm not going to bring you all the way from Genesis back to Matthew. But we need to get some reference. Amen? And Adam knew his wife, And she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. From Adam? No. She said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. So from the beginning, we knew where we came from. But somewhere along the line, uh, we we, we got it twisted. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was the keeper of the sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel also brought the firstlings of his flock and, 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 and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and of his offering had no respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto him, Why art thou Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel, thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for your situation? Amen. You find yourself in a situation, am I responsible? Should I have compassion? Should I care? Should I care because you don't dress like me? You don't look like me. You don't eat the foods I eat. You don't speak my language. And I've been taught to honor the traditions of my forefathers. Amen? Now when I look back here, if somebody's going on that concept that if I only knew my history, I could get along. Truly, Cain and Abel are two people that we can say knew their history. Hallelujah. They're still in the first stages. They know who their mother is. There are no other races. There's Cain, Abel. Hallelujah. This is the beginning. They're talking with God direct, not through a prophet. Not through the word, not through an emissary, not by religion, not by tradition, but they're speaking directly with the creator. They're speaking directly with God. And yet it comes to this, that Cain killed his brother. Hallelujah. How did he come to that? Because of a condition in the heart. Amen. All the things we're trying to solve with laws and politics today, we're never going to write enough laws to make another group of people treat us the way we think we ought to be treated. Because first of all, they can't treat themselves like they ought to be treated. We see here that Cain could not treat his brother Abel like he ought to be treated. In the church today, it shouldn't be so. I don't expect the world to change. But I expect that anybody that called themselves a child of God to adopt the principles that Jesus taught when he came in the flesh. You see, this thing got so bad over the generations that the Son of God had to come from heaven and put on an earthly garment. He had to come through the flesh. Hallelujah. Amen. To redeem man because things had gotten so bad. That there was no other way for man to be redeemed except God himself come through. Hallelujah. And put on the robe of the servant and walk amongst us. I can imagine the hallelujah more in a a, a physical setting is that Jesus had to say, I got to go down there myself. Hallelujah. And show them what? How to love one another. Amen. Jesus all the way to the cross. The Bible say that he learned obedience even through death and that the death of the cross, which he despised the shame thereof, but endured for the glory that was set before him. That glory of us one day coming to a point where we believe and where we understand that God is love. Hallelujah. Doesn't matter what your history is. Doesn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter how you got here. Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have life more abundant. That we might be free from anger. That we might be free from fear of death at the hands of our brother. We never take into account what must have went on in the mind of Adam and Eve. Their children whom they have raised under the same belief, under the same religion, under the same God, under the same everything, eating the same food, dressing the same way, talking the same language, one of them just killed his brother. It's in our heart when we think evil of one another. It's gonna come out in an action when jealousy comes in, when we see our brother or our sister with something that we don't have. The first thing we start thinking is that's not fair. It's not right. Hallelujah. But God has something better for us. That's why Cain had no answer. Am I my brother's keeper? That's a pitiful excuse. We should not be at the point where we don't feel responsible for each other because we don't look the same. Hallelujah. When I went into the Marine Corps, it was the first time that I had to really put this practice into action because for the first time, the person sleeping to my left and to my right and above me did not look like me. Some were from Puerto Rico and some were from, some were whites that were from here in the United States. But we were all different. And we were thrown into an environment where we had to do the same thing at the same time in order to produce something. And you learn something in that environment. You learn that we are all the same. Because when you're hungry, smothered liver and onions taste good to everybody, hallelujah. When you're hungry, scrambled eggs taste good to everybody. Everybody got there, with well, I don't eat this, I don't eat that. But by the last day of boot camp, all they had to do was ring the bell. Hallelujah. All they had to do was ring the bell, and everybody ate everything. Hallelujah. When we look back, a little, come down a little bit more, in, in Genesis 37 it says, And they said one and to another. I'm in Genesis 37. I'm going fast now. Stay with me. Verse 19. Common story. Everybody know the story of Jacob and his sons. And they said one to another. Behold. This dreamer cometh. Come now therefore. And let us slay him. And cast him into some pit. And we will say. Some evil beasts have devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into a pit in the wilderness and lay no hands on him. In other words, don't you kill him, put him in a ditch and let him die. Amen. That was after from, from 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 Cain to Abel, from Cain and Abel, to now the, 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 the children of Jacob, they've, they've advanced at one level. Don't kill your brother, but they still got the same problem. Throw him in a ditch in the middle of the wilderness and see what becomes of his dreams. Hallelujah. Jealousy was at the heart of the problem between Cain and Abel because Cain was jealous that God gave deference to Abel's gift and not his. And here we are because Jacob, their father, has showed love to to Joseph, his brothers. They, They felt like he's gotta die. Amen. Hallelujah. This jealousy thing been around a long time. But let me remind you of something. Hey, they were brothers. No, they weren't brothers like I was brothers with my my brothers in the core where we still call each other brothers, where we still greet each other no matter what nationality as brother. But they were brothers from the same household. Hallelujah. Without the love of God, you can't treat nobody right. Without the love of God, if God don't change your heart, You can go home to wherever you're from, and you're going to get there, and you'll be like, ah, my people, I'm home. And 15 minutes later, amen, it's going to be blood in the streets. I don't care who you are. I don't care if it's from China, I don't care what the background. That's why the words of Jesus were so riveting at the time, because He was telling you, you've forgotten what God your Father have taught you. You're learning the, far, the traditions and the culture of your earthly fathers. Hallelujah. I love my people. I love my Father. But I've always had an objectivity about the things we had. All these traditions. Hallelujah. My mother, God rest her soul, she had more. She had more traditions than you could shake a stick at. You 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 couldn't you 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 couldn't uh, you you couldn't sweep after dark. You couldn't take the trash out because something it was bad luck. You you had all these things that were built in. And I'm looking around, and even as a child, I'm like, well, rich people take their trash out at night. It's working for them. What what is it? What is it that by not taking the trash out at night? What are we avoiding? Are we avoiding? These are traditions, and there are many traditions. And God help us if we let them come and pollute the love of God in the church. Yes, we have some very, 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 good traditions, some that are very good. But they don't replace the word of God. They don't replace the love of God. They don't replace the mercy of God. They don't replace the grace of God. That's why Cain was upset with his brother Abel because he could not understand the grace of God. That's why many of us are still pointing the fingers at others around us and saying they don't live right because they don't look like we look. They don't dress like we dress. They don't talk the way we talk. But God abhors that type of personality. Hallelujah. What is the love of God? The love of God is pure. Amen. The love that's coming from above is first pure and then peaceable. Easy to accept. Easy to receive. Hallelujah. If it doesn't have love, what good is it? Hallelujah. When I was listening to the the, 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 the videos, I heard uh, Sister Ayo say of her Sierra Leone heritage, one thing about them, she said it, I, did, I don't know it. I haven't been there, but I expect to find it when I go. She said they love strangers. What a, what a concept. They welcome and love strangers. Now I guarantee you that there's a younger generation now that probably don't feel that way. Because the first strangers that came didn't treat them well. Amen. And so now something else is being taught. Something else. We can't stop teaching what God teaches because somebody do us wrong. We can't stop teaching forgive. We can't stop teaching. I had a person tell me that I'm, I've, been, I've been made docile. Hallelujah. I said if I'm, if I'm docile. I would hate to see what what, what aggressive look like. But because I forgive and I have love, I don't have that from my heart. I have it from the love of God. I have it from the word of God. I got as much anger in me as anybody else got in them. But what keeps it in bay and what keeps me at peace is the love of God. When I accepted Jesus into my heart, I forgave and I am free and I'm liberated. And you can't make me angry over something I ain't angry over no more. Hallelujah. Half the things we angry about, if we just made common sense, you would realize that that person don't know no better. Can't do no better unless I do something different. Hallelujah. How about this? How about I use the weapon God gave me? Love. Understanding. It's the only one that'll work. If I pick up an AK-47, they're going to pick up a Uzi. Amen. No matter how many 9-millimeter pistols you got hidden around the house. Amen. Somebody got more. We see what happens when people feel so disenfranchised that they make themselves right. Amen. And that don't matter who you are. The only the love of God. That's why Jesus gave no other formula to turn the other cheek. Why? Because you don't understand if you do this, I, God, the Father, will come and get in between you. Hallelujah. And I, God the Father, will build a bridge. Hallelujah. I, God the Father, Hallelujah, will inhabit. Hallelujah. Your anger. What did he tell Cain? He said, "Calm down." He didn't he didn't strike Cain down because he murdered his brother. Even then he had mercy. But before he warned him, Calm down. If you keep this path up, there's something that you don't know about. It's called sin. Hallelujah. There's an adversary you're not aware of. Your parents have met him. It's the devil. Hallelujah. And if you keep on this path, he's going to have you do something you can't take back. You can't take back. You can't, re- you can't, re- you can't recount it. Hallelujah. This morning, we want to do it God's way. Doesn't matter what your bloodline is. I grew up my mother's family. I love, I love, I love all of them, but they were a fighting family. Amen. And then you, 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 you knew the McElveen side of the family. You, you didn't know the Pittman side of the family. Amen. But when we used to go to North Carolina, it was such a division that if you sat on the porch with my mother's people, My father's people who were saved, they had a problem with that. Amen. They didn't want you around your people because they were were sinners. Now, I understand they wanted us to be saved, but can you see what a problem that caused? Amen. When it's okay to sit on my uncle's house porch over here, but my uncle over here, now he's a bootlegger. He sell liquor. Amen. But he was fun, and he had a lot of jokes, and he always loved his... That that, that division was put in our heads and in our minds. We as the church must stop feeding into this. Love is the key. Love is the answer. You're gonna have saved and unsaved family members. Your job is to treat them the same. Hallelujah! Because you can't judge. You can't know what's right. You can read every history book you want. It's not going to teach you how to love. It's not going to teach you when to love. It's not going to teach you when to forgive. Only the blood of Jesus. We need the blood of Jesus in our life. Covering us. Guarding our, uh, governing our thoughts. Governing everything that we do. We need the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. When we look at the word of God... Jesus, even when God was, even when, when, he, when he brought judgment on Egypt, there was one thing. Didn't matter what family you were from, didn't matter whether you were Egyptian, and it didn't matter whether you were Jewish. It was only one condition. He said, When I come, he told him to strike the blood over the doorposts. He told them what type of animal it was. That information was not hidden from the Egyptians. That information was not only given to the Jewish people. There were other multitudes. There were mixed multitudes among the Jews in slavery. And the condition of salvation was given to them all. If I see the blood, I will pass over you. And this morning, it's the same condition. Didn't matter whether it was the slave. He wasn't delivering them because they were slaves. He wasn't against the Egyptians because they were slave owners. He was against the whole condition. And deliverance was from the Jew as well as for the Egyptian. Because they were slaves also. Hallelujah. You can't be a slave owner without being a slave. You can't have slaves without being a slave. You can't be a prison guard without being a prisoner. You live in the same building, amen. You're behind the same bars. Only difference is you get to come out at five o'clock every day and you're back in in the morning. God is teaching us to to set people free in our hearts so that we can be free. Have love in your heart so that you can have love, be loved, and you can receive love. I'll close with this. Matthew 26. And they were eating. Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Hallelujah. This This is Jesus resetting the clock. See, the whole portion that we read about in the New Testament is Jesus resetting the clock. Amen? Because man had gone so far away from what truth was, it didn't matter. So here he's saying, take, eat, this is my body. Amen. Then he said, for this, this is my body. For this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Amen. We thank God for our culture. We thank God for cultural day. But I have have news for you. You're never going to understand it. I watched a debate with going back and forth over Facebook and it was a, 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 it looked it, it appeared from the writing to be someone of african american descent and it appeared to be somebody who has immigrated from africa recently and they were having a debate going back and forth on what is the history is the history is is is, is black history month about the time from from slavery to now and what about all of your African history that goes before that? And it went back and forth, and I almost got into it, because it seemed like an intelligent conversation. And you know me, I like a good debate. But after a while, it seemed futile. But it's like, I don't care how many pages you can turn back and how many relics you can dig up, you can't find peace. Hallelujah. How do I know that? Because Cain slew Abel. And if Cain slew Abel, then there's no chance you're gonna read something in your history that's gonna make you a better man. Hallelujah. There's death in our history. There's hatred in our history. There's jealousy in our history. And I don't care what color you are or where you're from. If you go back as far as you can in your history, you're gonna find murder and you're gonna find death. But Jesus came to deliver us, hallelujah, from our feelings, from our culture, From our history, Jesus came that we might have life and that it might be a more abundant. That's what we offer today. That's what we wanted to, to deliver. That's why we share. Amen. We bring our dishes not to impose them on one another. We wear our garments not to impose them on one another. We wear and we speak our language not to make someone feel welcome or unwelcome. Amen. But to include everyone in what God has done. I'm not saying anything new, but think about it. The blood of Jesus, why did it require blood? Why, when Adam and Eve sinned, did it require blood? Why did Jesus have to die and be born again that we might have life? Because hatred and discontent and jealousy, those things have to die. They must be killed. They must be laid on the altar as a sacrifice. If you have enmity in your heart against your brother, if you have anything in your heart against your sister, the only solution is it must be crucified. You must crucify the flesh, the anger, the hate, the fear, the doubt. Whatever is going on, it must be crucified. We thank God for the word today. Thank God for, I know it's been a long day. We thank God for your patience. Amen. But we want to remember what your real history is. I'm not a child of a tribe. I'm not of a whatever name tribe. I'm not of the McElveen tribe. I am a son of God. I'm a son of God first. He allowed me to be in a tribe. Amen. But I'm going to remember my father, which is in heaven. When I think back on what I want to emulate, when I think back on what's important, I'm going to think all the way back to my father, which is in heaven, who created me in his likeness and in his image. My sense of humor, my style. I want to know that I, I believe it came from my father. I believe my father, God, amen, in heaven, created me to be the way I am. God bless you. We give you all a greeting from here in
0: Washington, D.C., Apostolic Faith Church. Amen. Thank you, Brother Demetrius. I'm just as encouraged after seeing that this time as I was the last three times I saw it. We uh, are very much clock focused. I guess that's my reputation. So in the beginning, when we were talking, Brother Charles, Sister Antonia, Katie, you're well aware of this, that it can't be more than an hour. And then finally, well, maybe 75 minutes, because I know uh, some preachers have the reputation of, um, well, the audience stops way before they do. So we don't want that in our, in our audience <clears throat> today. But then... Uh, we saw this message. The goal was to end with a 10-minute inspirational uh, message. We saw this one, and throughout the clock, knowing that you would be inspired to, to see it as well. So thanks so much to Brother Demetrius. Um, thanks, uh, Brother Mark, uh, Brother Charles, and Sister Antonia, and thanks to Katie. We appreciate uh, so much the, the work that has been put into this. The recording of today's session will be available in our archives, same as a regular church service, at least for a couple of months. Eventually, the webcast audience could not see the slides that we saw here in the sanctuary. Those will be embedded once we have time to edit this video. And then ministers at least will be notified that it's been edited and posted again so they can pass the word and be used in congregations as they wish. We also have, as Katie mentioned, this uh, article that was published from uh, Sister Antonia, who has been instructing, as she also mentioned, the ministers for the last uh, few years, as well as Brother Mark for the last few years. So uh, this is not uh, new material to uh, many of us, but it's material worth hearing again and again and again. So we thank God for it all. Well, let's uh, let's stand, shall we? We'll be be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the Gospel of Jesus Christ that unites us all around the world. We're thankful for the blood of Jesus that purchased our redemption, provided for the atonement of our sins, and also provides for our healing and our uh, sanctification. But we are especially appreciative, Lord, of the fact that you give us unity, you give us harmony, you give us fellowship. Uh, You give us just a sense of a a singular beating heart. We appreciate that, Lord. We uh, give glory uh, to you above all. We give thanks to you above all. We appreciate, Lord, the the unity that we enjoy for the blessings of God that uh, descend upon our meetings wherever we happen to be gathered together. We pray that you'll bless this global audience this morning and in the days to come as different ones continue to view. We thank you, Lord, for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.